I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tysei Fu. And I regret to inform everyone that Panthers Week has been postponed yet again. Um, we are now going on week three of Panthers Week. This time, it's because uh, they've only played one game between our last episode and this one. And also, I didn't watch it because I was at work. So I feel not very equipped to talk about uh, the week that was in the life of the Florida Panthers. But that's okay. Because we have the massive piece of hockey news that everyone's been waiting for all year long. Jack Eichel is, contrary to the initial report slash rumor, not going to the Calgary Flames in exchange for Matthew Kachuk Plus, but instead is going to the Vegas Golden Knights, along with a third-round pick in exchange for a, I would say, at best, fair return and at worst, underwhelming Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, first and second round pick. See, I think you're already being generous to kick things off. Uh, I would say to be to be generous would be call it underwhelming. Uh, to be maybe a bit more harsh would be to say it's fucking bad. Uh, but the saga's over, at least. You know, they've got Eichel out of their hair. Uh, in return, they get a player back in Tuck who apparently... From uh, you know, from the out, from the get go, is uh, very excited to come to Buffalo because he grew up there, or at least in the area. Um, so you know, just the vibes are are, are better in Buffalo. But uh, asset wise, I don't think you could argue that. And I mean, yeah, this deal was definitely going to get done at some point. It was just a matter of you know which team are they going to choose to send him to, and you know what exactly are the pieces. But from the way they cornered themselves in the in this trade market, the the return was obviously going to be you know underwhelming for you know a center uh that that is of eichel's age right now uh and level of talent he is to get this kind of return i mean think about it the eichel and a third i mean the third in 2023 um supposedly you know vancouver's gonna be all healthy uh not vancouver vegas is gonna be uh you know all like they're going all in next year as well as this year you know when eichel's got you know a, a full like half season to get adjusted plus the off season um you know we could be talking about that third that they're receiving uh that Vegas is receiving might just be like one pick apart from, you know, or from Buffalo's or no, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It could be like one pick apart from, from the Vegas second that they're sending in 2023. Right. So Vegas is getting Buffalo's third and Vegas is in second. So, you know, in my mind, I mean, that's barely an upgrade in terms of picks. So it's really just talk Krebs in a first. And we're talking about, you know, Krebs is a solid prospect, a first round pick that's top 10 protected and like a third line, like a decent third line player in Alex Tuck who's, you know, the trait that we've heard so much in the last days that he just wants to be in Buffalo. So it feels like, you know, the bar was set awfully low. I think our expectations were extremely low for this deal. Um, and I think that's why, you know, one might think it's fair. But, I mean, like, take a step back. This is, I mean, th- this is not like, you know, Mark Stone-level stealing. But this is still, I think, quite lopsided for, for the Vegas Knights. Mm-hmm. Not to mention wanting to be in Buffalo is probably a red flag for a player to begin with. But anyway, <laughs> I... uh. I'm kind of surprised that you're taking that stance. I, I would have expected you to be a little further the other way, just because when we were talking about that Calgary rumor, Kevin Weeks saying they were talking, it would be Eichel for Matthew Kachuk, a recent first-round pick, of which Calgary has some pretty good ones, uh, an additional first-round pick, and like two other prospects, which two other prospects is pretty vague. But everyone was like, wow, that would be a steal for, for Buffalo. Um, they would absolutely win that trade. And of course, that rumor turned out to be fake. But when you and I were discussing it, uh, you were saying, 
wow, that would be crazy good for Buffalo. I would even, uh, if I'm Buffalo, take just Matthew Kachuk in the first. At that point, I was thinking, okay, okay. I think you've forgotten how good Jack Eichel is a little bit. I think you're undervaluing him just because of this injury and that I guess he hasn't seen the ice, uh, the ice for a while. I think you're forgetting how good he can be at top form. Um, and the fact that, you know, we, we see this Vegas trade now, and uh, it seems like a lot of people have forgotten how good he can be at a top form or his just value has been totally cratered. And I guess it's more so that second one because I am having a pretty hard time seeing a world that this uh, looks good for Buffalo. And if it does, it wouldn't be because uh, the assets they received uh, really turned out great. It would be because Jack Eichel ended up disappointing in Vegas. Um, people were talking about Vegas and how they have a tendency to trade away their first round picks. All three of their first round picks from their first draft have been traded away. Brandstrom in the Stone deal, Nick Suzuki in the Pacioretty deal, and Cody Glass one for one for Nolan Patrick this past summer. Uh, now, uh, add Peyton Krebs to that list in, the, in this trade. And I saw an interesting take about it because most people are saying, oh, you know, this is not a recipe for success. Trade away all your great young players. I saw an interesting take that was Vegas um, is maybe capitalizing on the fact that players with first round pedigree who haven't hit the NHL yet tend to have a very inflated value because of that pedigree and they are unlikely to ever achieve that value. Uh, you look at the Eric Branstrom case, for example, that was the key piece in the Mark Stone trade. And at the time that wasn't seen as a steal for Vegas. It was like, oh, Eric Branstrom could grow into a superstar. Vegas might end up regretting that. And now we see Eric Branstrom. Obviously, DJ Smith is a uh, dislike of him. Doesn't help him much, but he's kind of like a bottom pairing defenseman at this point. And he's, he's 22 now, so it could get better, but uh, maybe not. Nick Suzuki is the only one that really seems to have come back to uh, and bitten them. Like Peyton Krebs, he did, he has this pedigree, the first round pick. He probably could have gone like around number ten, and Vegas ended up getting him at seventeen. And he's been great in junior. He's been great in the limited AHL time he's had. He's played a little bit in the NHL, hasn't produced much yet. He's only I think twenty, but at this point, he's basically still a mystery box. And Buffalo saying, "Oh, we like him. We really think he can grow into like a top six player." And it's like maybe, and if he does, then maybe you get fair value. But uh, it's still a mystery. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that the league definitely overvalues its uh, its first round pedigree. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you can only do this for so long, right? This this first round pick, and I'm not faulting Vegas for doing it right now because you know they have a Stanley Cup caliber team right now, and you go all in, you get the proven guy because yeah, Krebs right now is a mystery box. We don't know how you know how much longer this core potentially has. You know, Pacioretty's getting up there in age. Uh, you know, Stones in his in his late twenties, I believe. So, uh, and, you know, like the, the whole roster, is, it's a pretty old roster at this point. Um, well, given the fact that, first of all, they were just, you know, it was it was based on the expansion draft. You weren't drafting rookies all over the place. Um, so to go all in now, I'm not blaming them, but I think you can only go so far uh, with this kind of, you know, un, un, like, you know, inefficiency uh, in this league, because at the end of the day, uh, you're, you're going to run into a wall. Uh, this league is built on young talent. Now, does that young talent necessarily hit all the time? Obviously not. Um, but... You know, to build a Stanley Cup roster, you can't you can't always trade the futures for the established players because at the end you're gonna you're gonna end up running out of you're gonna end up running out of assets. You're gonna end up running out of players that can develop. They're just gonna you're gonna hit that peak every year, and then your players are gonna start getting older. Uh, I think Vegas is starting to hit that peak. It's starting to hit that point in the road. 
Uh, maybe they've got one more first round pick that they could possibly trade. But at that point, you're talking like 2023 picks um, that, you know, in order to, you know, improve the current roster. But, you know, like you can't do this for much longer because you just you're just out of picks. You just run out of picks at a certain point uh, and you run out of prospects. So, you know, I, I don't think Vegas is wrong for doing it right now, but I think I don't think it's a necessarily a sustainable strategy. Uh, and as for, you know, you talk about um, what I think of the trade as a whole. I think there, there are two separate sides to this. Um, there's there's the one side that is, OK, what do we expect, you know, Buffalo to get based on the situation that they've created themselves? And so, you know, based on the trade market as it is, you only have two mar- you only really have two teams that want Jack Eichel. If you're getting, you know, Matthew Kachuk in a first, I say run with it because I don't think you're going to get anything better. I would argue Tuck Krebs in a first um, isn't really that much better because, you know, Kachuk is, is a much more valuable asset than Tuck Krebs or the first right now. Um, but as a whole, obviously, like you take that step back, you look back, you know, I don't know, like 12 months before they had this whole, you know, they completely bungled this Jack Eichel injury situation. Um, you know, you, 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 you ask, would you do, you know, Kachuk in a first or a Kachuk first uh, and, you know, a former first round pick? I would say no way. Uh, obviously, Jack Eichel is just, you know, that next level of caliber of player. But, um, you know, they put themselves in the corner. I think when grading this trade for Buffalo, you have to factor in the fact that they did paint themselves into this corner where there's there's basically essentially no trade market for Eichel because, A, you know, no no team kind of wants to touch this this PR mess or, you know, this injury mess. And also, you're, like, in the middle of the season. Like, these, like it's, it's a whole thing for, like, Vegas, which we'll, I, I guess we'll talk about in a bit, you know, Vegas's cap situation. Uh, now that it's kind of a mess, you know, you throw in $10 million in there like that. Uh, you're going to need some adjustments. Not many teams can do that. So, um, you know, I think they, if apparently that Kachuk offer was never there and like shout out to Buffalo, that seems to be a solid negotiating tactic. Yeah. I think, I think Buffalo leaked that. Um, but uh, at that point I would have taken it, but you know, you rewind a year back uh, or even just when Eichel had an injury, I would say no way. Yeah. And also the thing with Matthew Kachuk uh that a lot of people, when the rumor broke, were like, oh, I don't know if, if that's really the ideal player Buffalo should be targeting. Is because after, I think, this season, he's an RFA with a $9 million qualifying offer that he could accept that walks him right to UFA, uh, either after this year or after next year. So if you're you know a team like Buffalo, that there's no good reason to believe Matthew Kachuk would want to stick around. That just might be a player that is like, all right, I'm going to be leaving at the end of the year. And you're like, okay, well, I guess you just got to trade you for futures as well. And so I can see why, even though that was reportedly never actually on the table, why Buffalo would be like, no, that's not really the type of, of player we want to bring in this in this trade, even though he is uh, very good. And uh, yeah, were you going to say uh, something? Yeah, I don't know about that. Because like, I, I see Kachuk as, a, like, I don't assume he'd stay in Buffalo. I, I wouldn't want to, I, I, if I was him, I wouldn't yeah, want to exactly, stay in Buffalo. Exactly, exactly. Uh, no, but, but I would still like, I still think the the flip value is you can get a whole bunch more. You know what I mean? Like if you get, you have that first. I think you get more for Brady, uh, not Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk than Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs. You know, in terms of return, and so just from an asset perspective, I would have if, if Kachuk was ever offered to me, and I'm Kevin Adams, I would have taken it because I think the flip, the flip value is there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're you're correct. Very good point. Congratulations. Uh, another point that was brought up <laughs> about uh, about Vegas, even though they did win this uh, this trade from a value perspective, 
Uh, it was talking about because the conclusion everyone jumped to was like, oh yeah, Vegas has really needed a number one center. Chandler Stevenson as a name just looks so out of place with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty as his wingers. And I was jumping to the conclusion like, oh, fully healthy team, Pacioretty, Eichel, Stone, no question about it. Uh, but when you really look at things and break things down, Stevenson, Pacioretty, Stone uh, is a dominant line. And you have to wonder whether replacing Stevenson with Eichel I mean, you would assume the line gets even better, but does it get like $7 million better or so? And I'd be inclined to believe, no, I don't think the difference between an already great line and an even better line is that much. Uh, So what I think would probably be smart for Vegas to do with a fully healthy roster, at least you keep that line intact. You could even keep Marcus Carlson and Riley Smith intact and you give Eichel whatever the next two wingers are. And then all of a sudden you've got your great top six that brought you the conference final last year and another line with Jack Eichel centering it, centering like uh, Nick Roy and Keegan Colasar or whoever it is. Okay, so I think, you know, that, that in theory, I like it. You know, would I keep together the first line? Absolutely. You know, you have a top six that has chemistry, that's played with each other for so long, has that track record of success. However, we've seen that Jack Eichel, you know, he, I don't think he would appreciate being put in that situation where he's got two scrubs or like, you know, two bottom six wingers. You'll play on the by his side. with the stars. Chill out. Yeah, but you know, like if I'm Jack Eichel, I think, you know, I would, I would, you know, he seems like the kind of player who would not appreciate playing with that with with other types of players of uh you know third line players look what i you know as a, if i was building the team i'd be like go fuck yourself i mean like you know you you you're on a, you're on a lit team and we're going to go win the cup and yeah sure play with the stars in the power play have fun there um but i could potentially see that as a source of problem and i could see hockey people seeing that as a potential source of problem if i'm you know if i'm uh, Pete DeBoer. and i could you know i i expect that he would be at at worst Second line center, if they want to keep that Stevenson, uh, you know, Stone Patrick line together. But uh, I think the appeal of just, you know, of that Stone Patrick and Eichel line, that that would destroy worlds. I think the appeal is too good. Now, well, would I'm... I personally do that? Probably not. But I get what, no, no, I, I get what you're saying. But uh, I just don't see it happening at this point. I mean, I think. Yeah. Well, this guy, this guy would probably speak up. I think that line, the the Eichel Stone Patrick line, is at least worth trying out a little bit to just see how good it is. Um, but I think, like, in the playoffs, when you have, you know, that top six like it is and Eichel on a separate line, that's a matchup nightmare for other teams. And, you know, I think if Eichel is, like, sad about it, like, sh- like shut up. I don't care. We're, the, we're you know, it's like, why should that be of my concern? You just got out of the Buffalo Sabres. You're on this, this Stanley Cup contending team now, and you're going to complain about the fact that your line mates are Evgeny Dadanov and, like, Michael Amadio when you just spent six years playing next to Kyle Pozo or whoever it is. Like, shut up and, you know, go out and score a bunch of points and help us win a Stanley Cup. Look, I, like, I don't see the flaw in that argument whatsoever. Um, but, you know, hockey men being hockey men. Uh, and, you know, Eichel already has, quote-unquote, what is it, character concerns or whatever it is. Um, I think the label's been attached to him at this point, fairly or not. Uh, and, yeah, in an ideal scenario, though, like where egos don't exist, I think, yeah, you put Eichel on the third line. Uh, who cares who's next to him? He'll, he'll, he'll wreck shop against weaker competition. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, well, like, in general... 
in general, obviously, you know, it's really important for teams to try to keep their players happy and, you know, make sure they're doing well and everything. But when it comes down to things like, you know, lineup decisions and line mates, you really can't bend over backwards as a team to try and keep everyone satisfied. You just have to be like, sorry, this is who you're playing with. (laughs) Tough shit. I find, like, that's the only right way to run a team. And anytime, you know... uh, if, wasn't there the rumor a couple of years ago that was like McDavid and Dreisaitl don't want to play on a line together? And whoever was the coach of the Oilers at the time was like, "All right, we'll put you on a line together." Then, like, you can really start running into uh, some trouble when you start letting players dictate their line mates like that. Yeah, that's true. But I, you know, you, obviously you're not going to listen to some, you know, bottom six guy. But a guy of the caliber of Eichel, I think uh, we've seen like with more power and power uh, player empowerment. Um, I think they start to have more sway and I think we, you know, like, you know, obviously in the NBA, that's the, that, that whole, you know, dictating who you're playing with is taken to another level, but I think we could potentially start to see, uh, more of it moving forward. And I, is it the right thing? I don't know. I think, well, obviously as a player, it's hard to, to be objective of, about your own playing time. So, you know, maybe, maybe from a team perspective, it's not the greatest. Um, but I don't know. Maybe the vibes will be better. I, I, I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> All right. Well, from the, the Buffalo perspective, I'm pretty sure Alex Tuck is injured as well um, for a while, at least. He's on IR right now. Not sure when he's going to be back. But uh, Peyton Krebs is... Where is he? Is he also not on the roster? Yeah, he's listed on the minors right now. So maybe they're like, hey, go chill out in the AHL Peyton Cripps for a while. So I guess there are no immediate immediate alterations to the lineup. But you mentioned Alex Tuck before as being like a, a third-line winger. Uh, on the current Buffalo Sabres, he is definitely a, a first-line winger. There's really no question about it. He, uh, I think, has scored at like... He scored at like a 50-point pace last year. Uh, 33 points in 55 games is about that. He really broke out. And uh, the year before that, he played a half year, 17 points, not great. But before that, he did have uh, 52 points in 74 games in 18-19. So uh, compared to the rest of Buffalo's roster, this guy is is pretty much an all-star. Yeah, so so we can officially affix him with the title of first-line forward, right, Alex Stark? Absolutely. Um, the, the bar is low, apparently. You just need to, you just need to play in Buffalo. Um, yeah, so it looks like he's out until <laughs> February. Um, he's out six months since August, so Oof. you know he'll be out for a while. Uh, I don't know what the cap the cap floor situation is for Buffalo, but I assume they probably make it with Jeff Skinner on that roster. Oh, they did a um, Johnny Boychuk, I think, to try and uh, solve. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh huh. IR hit Johnny Boychuk, thirty seven years old, hasn't played <laughs> since uh since how long? Nineteen twenty. He played sixty. Oh yeah, I remember. Then he retired. I think like uh. Like a couple months after that first stoppage, he ended up announcing his retirement, going on IR. Yeah, we were talking about like I was just trying to sign Ryan Pulock, trying to sign Matthew Barzell. It was like, how are they possibly going to fit these guys under the cap? And Johnny Boychuk was like, I'll retire. And it was like, oh, that's how. Uh, and anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, now he's been traded to Buffalo to, I guess, something about the staying above the cap floor. Yeah. Oh, man, he's going to have to move his whole family there. What a travesty for Johnny Boychuk. All the way from Long um, Island to Buffalo, New York. <laughs> not even. He's not going to play. All right. I know. Okay. Like that's yeah. a long distance to begin with. <laughs> Terrible. Travesty. Anyway, speaking <laughs> of cap situations, 
Um, you know, well, well, you know, Vegas certainly puts them in a, in a bit of a bind. They're very close to the cap. And even if they, if everybody was healthy right now, it would be over the cap. But, you know, they've got like, what, $26.5 million on LTIR right now. Um, and, you know, it must be asked, what the hell are they going to do when everybody gets healthy? Because, you know, we assume so far up to this point that, you know, all of Pacioretty, Stone, and Eichel will eventually be back at some point during the season. Uh, it's and it's like, uh, well, what, what's uh, what are we gonna do here? Because you know, it's like in terms of expiring contracts, you have Riley Smith, who's up at the end of the year. You have Brady McNabb if you're looking on defense. But it feels like you know those are parts to uh, a Stanley Cup winning team that you know that would kind of hurt to lose. Uh, and the one thing that I, that kind of sticks out to me like a sore thumb uh, are those two moves that they made in the off season. Uh, you know, signing Laurent Brassois to like over two million dollars and trading for Evgeny Dadanov. Uh, it was a stupid move back then, and it sure feels like it's like biting, you know, come back to bite them in the ass. Well, for the rest of this season and how tight to the cap they are, but also next season because they're like just as tight um, with all these contracts. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, it's a bit of a pickle here in, in in terms of the cap situation in Vegas. Yeah, I think for me the Dadanov one stands out way more because like Lauren Bressois, you know, you need a backup goalie, and he's a really good backup goalie, and that's not such a bad price. Dadanov one, even then, remember cause they had just traded Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, with a $7 million cap hit. Right away, you know, they signed Brassois, a little over two. Then they trade for Dadanov, that's $5 million. Now you've more than replaced Fleury's cap hit with uh, what's sort of his replacement, Laurent Brassois, and this winger who's playing on your third line. That, that The Dadanov one, that's the one that's, that's just a big head-scratcher, even though the value they only give, like, Nick Holden and, like, a late pick, I think. Um, but to answer your question about how they're going to possibly make this work, uh, I think Eichel is going to get kucherov that's my take. I think he's staying on the LTIR until the playoffs begin on May 2nd. And either that or they like trade Dadanov somehow. Um, but I don't think they're going to make a deal just for the sake of clearing up the room to bring back Eichel before the season ends. Because I'm pretty sure this, this surgery is supposed to keep him out for, I had thought it was six months. I think Kelly McCrimmon said like four to five months, but he also was like, oh, that's just uh, a guess. And I think he even, he even had a quote that was like, oh yeah, you know, very tempted to talk about what we're going to do when everyone gets healthy. But remember that maybe not everyone will get healthy. And everyone's like, wow, you're kind of saying the quiet part out loud there, Kelly. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's why I think Jack Eichel is sticking on LTIR. But unlike what the Lightning did last year, um, Vegas if the start of their season is anything to go on, isn't really a shoe in for the playoffs, uh, the way they've been playing right now. I know, you know, it's still early and all, uh, but they're right now they're 500 exactly. And just really just in the mushy middle thick of things for the wild card spot. So if they, you know, made this cycle trade, sit Eichel on LTIR for like a couple extra weeks, just cause they don't have the room to bring him back and then end up making the playoffs. Then that could end up being like, uh, you know, it bites you if you if you miss the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. To, to pull off the Kucherov, you have to be good enough without the player to actually make the playoffs. And, you know, Vegas is uh, low-key sucked shit this entire season so far. Uh, extremely underwhelming. And that's obviously, you know, you have Stone and Pacioretty out. Uh, those are your two big guns. Obviously, you're going to take a hit. But, you know, they've been, they've been pretty bad. I mean, like, Petrangelo has been, uh, you know, pretty notoriously bad so far this season. Uh, and you know, it seems like uh, the whole roster is kind of underwhelmed. So 
you know, it remains to be seen. Uh, I wonder if they try some, you know, shenaniganery with either Stone or Pacioretty. Uh, to, I don't know exactly what the numbers are. Um, I assume it's extremely tight because uh, I think they have about $16 million in cap, sp- uh, cap space right now with LTIR and Stone and Pacioretty combined are 16 and a half. So, you know, how do they get that half million dollars? What are the numbers? I have no idea. But, uh, you know, it, it stands to wonder. They they really put themselves in a much tougher situation than Tampa in terms of, uh, you know, do we get this guy back for the regular season? Uh, but we also have to, like, wait that, A, they'll they'll be rusty coming off of injury, presumably, at least some rust. And B, you know, you, you got to start winning immediately. Um, there's you, You're leaving yourself very low room for error if you uh, start pushing these guys back. But it seems like they're considering it. Like, would we be surprised if they put Stone back for a while? I wouldn't be too surprised. It would be a par for the course in this league. Did you see the um the Knights lineup the other night that had Brett Howden as top line center? It was something. <laughs> it was something like Marshall So, Brett Howden, Riley Smith, because William Carlson's injured now too. Actually, even though he isn't on IR, uh, and in the bottom six they had guys like like you know Michael Amadio was there, Jake Jake Lecision was there. Oh, you know, you know who is there? Jonas Rondbjorg, uh, who I remember from being the captain of that Den- the Danish World Junior team that year where they became like the first team ever to score zero goals in the round robin. Um, all four games that got shut out. And he was the captain of that team, and he was the only player who had been drafted. And it was like, oh, you know, if Denmark's going to make any noise, it's probably going to go through Jonas Rondbjorg. And then he didn't really do much. Uh, and they didn't score in four straight games. <laughs> but now he's made the NHL. So good for him. Shout out. This this all this all comes down to a big shout out to Jonas Rondbjorg. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. I, I guess it was it was it was nothing but up from that one unfortunate uh World Juniors tournament. He, he's made it to the show. Yep. As as a center for the Golden Knights. A plus. Uh-huh. All right. Well, speaking of so, yeah. speaking of uh, speaking of Brett Howden, who was once traded to the Rangers, you know who else was once traded to the Rangers? Adam Fox, who who, who signed a deal this week. Incredible! Big extension for the Norris Trophy winner. Seven years, nine and a half million dollar AAV for Adam Fox, uh, who is probably right next to Kel McCarr. Those are the premier two defensemen in the NHL. And they are both getting paid like it. I don't see a way that this deal doesn't work out. Adam Fox, of course, won the Norris last year. This year, he's doing like at least as good. He's just a total monster. Uh, I think they were talking. Oh, who was I listening? To? Some on one of the podcasts I was listening to, they were saying Adam Fox might already be like the most underappreciated athlete in New York because everything runs through him on that Rangers team. And, you know, him, Igor Shesterkin's a total monster. Those are the, really the two MVPs for the Rangers now who've gotten off to a pretty good start this year. Adam Fox is over a point a game this year as a defenseman. has 11 points in 10 games. Uh, and my favorite part about this great new deal, uh, I saw a take that I have no idea who was from, some moron, who was like, yeah, Adam Fox is good, but is he really good enough to be making Seth Jones money? And it was completely sincere. It was like Seth Jones is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I know Adam Fox won the Norris, but like he's still kind of unproven. Yeah, no, I for me, um, my uh, gauge of uh, you know is 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 a guy like Adam Fox potentially overpaid? Um, the answer is no, because he's still making less than Zach Wierenski, um, which is you know a milestone in itself, and that's 
that's still hilarious to me that both Makar and Fox making less Lorensky. Uh, yeah, it seems pretty fair to me. As you, unless he gets injured, as you said, I don't see this deal going south in any way. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think he's significantly better for the record than Seth Jones. And uh, yeah, it takes until he's what thirty. Yeah, it's uh, it's takes a whole chunk of his prime. He's already uh, scoring like crazy, and it's only he's only gonna get better. And uh, nine and a half, it seems to be like uh, everybody's everybody's paying the guys around nine nine and a half. And so you know, if you're gonna pay someone in that range, Adam Fox might as well be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the there are still like a couple worrisome deals on the Rangers. Uh, Truba still signed eight million per till 2026. Zabana, we vo- we voiced our uh, concerns about that deal that was signed pretty recently. Chris Kreider is six and a half until uh, like at least 2027, I think. Yeah, till 2027. Yikes. Barkley Goudreau, of course, that one's getting about 3.6 till 2027. So there are a couple ways that uh, this cap situation for the Rangers could eventually turn into a nightmare. And, uh, you know, people were, you know, how everyone's always talking about like the Leafs and they're like big four. I was like, oh, could you win with all this money tied up in these players? And I think what was shown was like um, uh, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Riley with his new deal and Nylander are making like about the same or it honestly might be even like a little bit less than I think Panarin, Zabanajad, uh, Fox, Truba and Rider after their contracts all kick in next season. Yeah, I know which which core I'd like. Um, I think if you like, you know, if you if you kick out Panarin from that group uh, up until like twenty twenty six, where that's like five seasons, you're going to be paying what uh, twenty three million dollars, so like over a quarter of your cap hit for a, and for a good chunk of it's going to be flat cap um, to Truba, Goodrow, Zabanajad, and Kreider, which is uh you know that that sounds like a horror story, already been already being written five years in advance, uh, which is uh, pretty nuts. Um, but I think it's fair to say. But that's the thing: the, the the farther you go, the more untradeable those contracts become. And then then you're like then you start looking at okay, who who can we even trade at this point? Um, and then that's where you end up trading Adam Fox. Um, that's that's my hot take. Six years in advance. <laughs> Yeah, so the four yeah. players you mentioned, uh, Zabanajad, Kreider, Truba, and Barkley Goodrow is a little bit under one third of the cap. That's fucking insane. As soon as That's the contract started next season for, for Zabanajad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, holy shit. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that is, that's insane. I mean, they're, they're just setting themselves up for, uh, I mean, how old are all those guys? Are any of them under 28? Zabanich has 20, 28 right now, but when his contract starts, he'll be 29. Uh, Barthel Goudreau is 28, and Jacob Truba is uh, 27. So, yeah, for all the good on the Rangers, you know, their star players, Panarin, uh, Fox, Shesterkin, for all their young talent, you know, uh, there are some reasons for concern, and those contracts are just a couple of them. And some others are, as we talked about at length during the offseason, that they are no longer interested in, and having skill players, and they much prefer will players. I think I even saw, I think it was Sam Stern, who was like, it really feels like the this Rangers forward group is completely now characterized by the fact that they directly replaced Pavel Buchnevich with Barkley Goudreau. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think from now on, I, I don't see any way where I'm really, I don't see myself in a situation where I'm high on the Rangers in any sort of way, uh, because 
A, their they're, they're front office is the, completely the wrong mindset. Obviously, their ownership, I should say. Uh, and they can't develop their forwards, as we mentioned in the past. Uh, especially, you know, they're, they're, they're high caliber blue chip prospects. Their lottery picks uh, haven't seemed to completely blossom yet. And uh, yeah, you've got yourself tied up to this kind of commitment over so many years. I mean, uh, yeah, this, there's no way that this ends up in any sort of cup contention window. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I cannot see it. I mean, they- I, I'm i high on the Rangers in the fact that I think they are currently a good team in that they're a playoff team who could maybe even win a round when you have Norris winner, a potential Vezina candidate, Igor Shesterkin. You still have Artemi Panarin, though. Mika Zibanejad's a top-line center, at least for now. Uh, I think you definitely have a good team. I don't see them growing into a cup contender really because I don't see them being able to develop their forward talent very well, especially based on their track record. Uh, but in the, I look at their current roster. I'm like, yeah, you know what? They've got a playoff team there. Not that that's what you want to be striving for, but, but alas. Yeah, sure. Playoff team. Sure. You know, uh, you know, even then the competitive Metro, we don't know if that's going to realize itself. But it really does feel like, you know, you've kind of like taken your ceiling and like, you know, beat it, you know, smacked it in the knees with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> you're like, you know, you, it's an inability to really, it seems like to progress any further, any better than, you know, a bunch of superstars that like that are currently in their prime, except for Fox, who obviously, you know, he's got a way to go and Chester can too. But, you know, Panarin's getting up there in age. He's already 30. Uh, Zabajad, as we've talked about, is already 20, 28. Um, and... Yeah, it just seems like there's the, the ceiling has been reached. Like, you're going to have Chris Kreider for, like, seven fucking more years? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that, that that's not a recipe for success in any sort of capacity. Uh, and, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, that, that Bushnevich really, that Bushnevich trade really kind of feels like it defines them. Because, you know, it with Bushnevich on that first line, you have, like, a bona fide first line. Um, and you can, you know, it, it really gave you depth there in the fourth core. Without it, you know, Sammy Blay instead. Uh, it really and Barkley Goodrow really seems like significantly worse, and the potential in the future because of these bad contracts, it seems so capped. I mean, you can only go so far with these with these great talents. I mean, you need a supporting cast, and it seems like their supporting cast is all fucked up. Did you see that Alexi Lafreniere was uh, skating on the fourth line today? Oh Lord! Yeah, oh, you're, you're the line. So, Kreider, uh, Zabanajad, and Barkley Goodrow, uh, Artemi Panarin with Ryan Strom. And the zero points in six games, Capo Caco. Our third line is Dryden Hunt, Philip Heedle, and Sammy Blay. Then we have Alexi Lafreniere with four points in 10 games on the fourth line with uh, Gregory McKegory and Kevin Rooney. With uh, Ryan Reeves injured and Julien Gauthier as a healthy scratch. I mean, what the fuck is the plan there? Do they think he's going to develop with, with the fucking top guy Kevin Rooney next to him skating for like. 10 or 15 minutes a night, not even like what the hell is going on. And like, you know, you're putting, you're putting Kako with Panarin and Strom, you know, it seems like he's a bit over his head there too. Uh, you're surrounding Mika Zibanejad with two scrubs. Uh, and it's he's like not a scrub. He's just not six and a half oh, million for a long. No, he's, he's, he's got seven goals in 10 games for Kreider. All right. He's the real deal. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. He, Chris Kreider was, was never bad he was always a top six winger but it's just kind of a scary contract for a guy who's already 30 all right my bad uh it seems i've been i've been biased from what happened back in 2014 uh yes, but uh 
Absolutely. Um, but you know, yeah, it's just that Lafreniere thing is is fucking is brutal. It's brutal. They can't. You're gonna completely tank this guy. Um, it's that it's that yo-yoing thing. It doesn't show that you have any sort of faith or confidence in Lafreniere. It's gonna tank him. They're gonna completely screw this guy up. Uh, first overall pick. I mean, it's uh, it's already very concerning. You don't. If anything, you know, if you want to play him on the fourth line, just fucking send him down to the AHL. At that point, you know, get get him some legitimate minutes. Don't have him fucking playing with with Greg McKegg. All right, for for fucking fifteen minutes a night. That doesn't make any sort of sense. If you wanna if you wanna see him succeed, send him to the AHL. Give him big minutes. Let him take over the league down there, and that's fine. That's fine. If that's your choice. That's fine. But don't play him on the fourth line. That's fucking terrible. What are they doing? What a mess. Speaking of um, Adam Fox, which I guess we had kind of moved away from, another defenseman who signed a long contract as uh, Morgan Riley. Before I talk about it, I want to hear your thoughts because I'm still very uh, conflicted and undecided on this one. Yeah, this is like, uh, it's like, it's it's a very eh kind of signing, you know, like seven and a half million dollars is about right for Morgan Riley. Right, like maybe if he goes to the open market next season after this season, his contract's up, he gets more than seven and a half million. I would think he's not past. He's like what, still twenty seven? He'll be twenty eight when the deal kicks in. You know, it's at the contract in a vacuum is a pretty good contract. I would say, you know, um, Riley. Obviously, it seems like his performance has kind of taken a a bit of a decline since twenty nineteen, and that's a concern. But as of now, it seems that the caliber of player he is. Uh, seven and a half million dollars right now. I mean, like, seems like even you could probably get eight in the open market, I would think. So maybe a bit of a hometown discount. Um, the problem is it's this whole, it's the Leaf vibes, you know, and it's, uh, it's the fact that they're bringing the whole cast together back again, even though they haven't won a single round. And also they're keeping this guy till he's like 34, 35. Uh, so... It's uh, it's 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 eight years for Morgan Riley, and the way he's already aging is it makes you question. So, you know, overall, what would I say is my opinion on this contract is that it looks like Kyle Dubas is sticking to his guns, and also it seems like you know this is the path he's going to pick. If it fails, he won't have to <laughs> he won't have to deal with the back end of this contract, is what I think. And uh, yeah. And if it works out, it works out, and it'll be great. I think this is a boomer bust kind of contract, and uh, currently, I don't think it's a gross overpayment. In years future, if he continues to decline, this may be quite bad. Yeah, I think there's no question this deal is probably below market value, but I still don't think it necessarily makes it good, just because we've seen how crazy inflated the market is for like a Morgan Riley level defenseman. Uh even just the number seven and a half, I'm like, man, you know, next to the other defensemen who are arguably as valuable as Riley on the Leafs, Muzzin and TJ Brody, who are making between like five and six million dollars each, this one this it just it kind of sticks out. And when you got this great player like Rasmus Sandin who kind of plays like Morgan Riley a bit and who you're hoping could probably take some of those offensive defensemen power play responsibilities away from Morgan Riley. I don't really see uh, why a team that's so cap-strapped moving forward is making this commitment instead of trying to make a trade. Uh, and I know Leaf fans are like, you know, 
upset about like you know you maybe you don't want to trade him during the season especially if you're you know you're trying to win a stanley cup this year and uh, maybe you should have done it during the off season is like a totally separate argument and what you really don't want to do of course is lose him for nothing just like happened to all the other ufas so instead you know you lock him in for this deal that's uh, max term, so you're supposed to keep the AAV down, and it's you know like fan favorite guy, who's been here forever, good leader in the room or whatever. Uh, I don't hate it. I just I was a little bit uh surprised how enthusiastic Leaf fans were in general about liking this, especially considering the fact that they've been in a, a pretty bad mood in general for the past several months. Yeah, no, this certainly isn't isn't a bargain of a contract. I think one thing is that like if they don't bring back Morgan Riley, it's like what's the exit plan here? You know, the the D is still pretty thin, I would say. I mean, like obviously you have Muzzin, you have Brody, you hope Sandine amounts to anything. And then what? You have Travis Dermott, who can't seem to get the trust of the coaching staff. You have Justin Hall, who's like, you know, a meh defenseman. Uh, Lilligren doesn't seem to be, you know, completely blossoming just yet. And so you have a couple of question marks in Lilligren and Sandine. And then what? You know, for a Stanley Cup contending team, or at least that's what they want to do, uh, it feels like they're missing a piece on the defense. And I don't think you can kind of replace that with, you know, for for less than $7.5 million on the open market, or, or you end up, you know, paying a ransom on the trade market. So I think in that sense, they kind of painted themselves in a corner because, well, what what else were they going to do at that point? Yeah, I saw I saw an interesting take that, like, this was a couple years ago, but it stuck in my head about the Leafs. Uh, this was after the the Raptors traded DeMar DeRozan and such for Kawhi Leonard. I, I don't know the details of that trade. And people were saying, you know what the Leafs need to do? Morgan Riley is like, you know, a fan favorite, just like DeMar DeRozan was, kind of like a face of the franchise. But is he good enough to be the premier defenseman on his Stanley Cup team? And a lot of people said, uh, maybe not. Maybe Morgan Riley kind of has to be like a DeMar DeRozan type for the Maple Leafs. And that they trade him as part of a package for uh, a better defenseman. And that always kind of stuck in my head as something that could potentially make sense. Even though defense is not the weakness of the Leafs roster anymore. Um so maybe that's why this like doubling down on Morgan Riley, like, yep, this is our top gun. This is our guy, even though he's, you know, kind of shaking the defensive zone and needs TJ Brody next to him to balance him out. And just making this a massive commitment to him just felt kind of a uh, kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see the analogy with the, uh, you know, the superstar trade, the Rosen Raptors, all that. Um, but uh, I don't know. It feel it feels like the the time like the, I I didn't I don't see that trade kind of materializing at this point. I mean, who would you really go after? The yeah. one candidate that I would have personally gone after in the in the market would have been Dougie Hamilton. You know, I'd have said fuck it and like I don't know, trade Brody or, or you know trade you know because you need a right handed spot. Maybe trade maybe trade Riley. Trade Riley, know? yeah. Open up that cap space, yeah, and then uh, you know go big on Dougie Hamilton. Obviously, he's gonna be significantly more expensive. I mean, he got nine million dollars. But really, like in the years future, it's not even going to be that much more expensive—a million dollars and a half—for uh, a bona fide superstar who already is doing doing great in New Jersey, uh, offensive production-wise for Dougie. Uh, imagine what he would do on the Leafs. That'd be pretty crazy. And maybe you do need to kind of change things up 
uh, with the defense. And, and that, in that sense, the analogy definitely works with the, you know, the Raptors and DeRozan. So, but yeah, that's the thing right now. It's like, what can you really do? I don't, you know, there's not really any, any defenseman of the, of the caliber of Hamilton coming up on the free agent market. And like, what kind of trade are you even going to make? Like, is, is Riley, I, he definitely holds some, like a lot of trade value, but I don't think he's nearly enough to go for the swing for the fence, a superstar defenseman guy. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing about uh, Morgan Riley in this new deal that was pointed out is that if he plays every game in the eight-year contract, he is going to end up with uh, 1,239 games played, meaning he would have passed George Armstrong for most games played all time for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, which is he currently holds a record at 1188. So I guess Morgan Riley games played all time Leafs watch starts now. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a bit premature. Oh, wait, uh, what is it? He's actually, got... wait, no, I just realized that uh, this doesn't take into account the rest of this current season. So he might only have to play like ah. seven full years out of the eight. Okay. So so this 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 watch only starts seven years early. That's that's pretty good. I was thinking about that Ovechkin. Um, that Ovechkin record chasing, you know, he's at what ten goals now? Is that right? At ten, ten games, uh, but like, man, he lost. The, like, obviously, he's lost games in the lockout. But yeah, he lost a whole bunch of games due to COVID this year. Like, you know, just like the the, the canceled season, which he didn't miss too many there. But then, you know, the shortened season, and obviously the lockouts. Where would he be now? Yeah. I know it's an off discuss point, but it just kind of hit me. Like, man, this would be no fucking contest. Um, yeah, if we yeah. had those That's, wait, wait, let me pull up that uh, that list right all time goals because the what would have been his rookie season was the full season lockout in 0405. So that's already off to a pretty bad start. It was that half season lockout in 2012, and then yeah, it's been pointed out now he lost about uh, like 15 games or so at the end of that first COVID season. And lost, you know, another, however, what's 82 minus 56, 26 games um, right there. And, I mean, to be fair, he hasn't been injured very much, but uh, he would be, let's see, where, where would he be now? He had 700, he's at 740 goals right now. He had, I think, 51 in his rookie year. And at that point, it's a year after. So let's let's play it safe. Let's say he would have gotten, like, at 34 goals in his uh, in his rookie season. 34. Uh, which is being quite conservative, I would say. Then in that lockout shortened year, uh, in the, which was 48 games long instead of 82, which means he missed uh, 34 games. Let's say, let's be generous again. Say he would have scored half a goal a game, which was below his average at that point. So that's 17 goals he missed. And then at the end of the 1920 season, that got cut short where he missed about 14 games. Let's do the same thing. Let's say he scored below his pace for that season, which he would have uh, passed 50 goals pretty easily. Let's say he only gets seven in those last however many games. And then last year, uh, in the 56-game season, where he missed 26 games, let's do it again. Half a goal per game, he gets 13 goals. Then all of a sudden, that is an extra 71 goals, which means right now he would be sitting at 801, tied for Gordie Howe for second place. Wow. So yeah, no, he would... At that point, now we're just this is a matter of time. Wait, he'd be what? 90, 90 something goals? Yeah, he'd be ninety three goals away. Yeah. And then at that point he could just like, you know, he could ride it out twenty goals a season. Uh for five years that he'd be well past it. 
Uh, so that, that's pretty crazy. I, I had that thought, and like you know, man, I like I watched the 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 Florida, the Florida Washington game, um, just the other night, and you're just like, yeah, you're just like fuck it, scored another goal. You know, it wasn't even from his spot, and they, like you know, first of all, it's a lot of fun. Just watching them, try, you know, feed the puck to him all the time. You know, it takes all these one timers. Uh, but uh, you just kind of scored off the rush. You just kind of walked in and fucking shot the puck under under you know Spencer Knight's glove. Now, granted, Knight probably should have had that, but then he gets his Ovechkin. He just walks in and decides to shoot it in the net. And, yeah, he still fucking got it. And, uh, I, I, yeah, 71 is being very conservative. Uh, it's being generous to Gretzky, I got to say. So he's probably being even closer, which is a damn shame. Um, all right. So uh, unless you have anything else to add to uh, the Morgan Riley commentary. Nope. Um, uh, I do want to talk okay. about uh, Brady Kachuk becoming captain now. Because uh, not only is it a little bit strange that that happened like a month into the season instead of like, I don't know, right before the season started. Um, but there is a, a niche section of hockey Twitter that I've become more and more in tune with uh, that was absolutely eating this news up. Saying, th- here's one I pulled up <laughs> at, at Lego Batman 2, also known as Caroline. Brady Kachuk Captain C is such a big win for people who ate dirt as a kid. Uh, <laughs> what else do we have? Congratulations from uh from at Uhi Uhaha, which I who I think I've said it before. Congratulations, Brady Kachuk, on becoming captain and giving middle children who are assholes but get away with it much needed representation. <laughs> Here's another one. One lonely story. Big wins for the Kachuk brothers this week. Brady got named captain, and Matthew didn't get traded to Buffalo. Uh, and that was that was another one because people were taking the Matthew Kachuk angle on this. Like, how embarrassing must it be for Matthew Kachuk, who, along with his brother Brady, people are saying, oh, you know, he could be a captain one day, and then the younger brother gets named captain first. How embarrassing is that for you? Yeah, massive L. Massive L. Meanwhile, he's on the he's being rumored to be traded to Buffalo. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's been a it's been a bad week in the so in the in the family sibling rivalry section for Matthew Kachuk. Feels bad. Uh, my sympathies, my condolences. Um, but uh, yeah, the the it is an interesting move. I don't know, I don't know why they waited so long to name him captain. But uh, seems like uh, maybe they were trying. Maybe they're dangling him as trade bait, and they, they, they just decided. Never mind. I guess we'll keep him. Might as well name him captain now. Uh, and uh, yeah, vibes are good. Vibes are good in Ottawa. Seems like uh, you know they didn't name, they didn't just name some old guy, some vet. They didn't name Nikita Zaitsev captain. So uh, yeah, looks like a pretty good choice. Pretty good choice. I can't complain. Mm, and uh, I think my favorite one of all these, I'll cite once again at Erickson's burner, tweeting a picture of Keith Kachuk when he was captain of the Coyotes, next to the picture from today of Brady Kachuk being captain, saying like father, like son. Luckily, Keith doesn't have another son who hasn't been named captain. That would be so embarrassing for him. <laughs> You're on a fun part of Twitter, aren't you? I am. That's uh, that was a good. <laughs> that's jokes. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Sure is. All right. So yeah, that's that's your that's that's your daily bit of trivia for people to remember. That uh, who's the captain of the who's the captain of the Sens? It isn't Andy Green. It's Brady Kachuk. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, and you know, actually, wait, another okay. one thing on that. I was watching the Senators graphic quickly. That was like 10th captain in history, and I was going through other captains in history in order. Did you know that Randy yep. Cunningworth, former Anglophone head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, interim head coach, was captain of the Sens for like a couple years in the 90s? Really? I had no fucking idea. I had Good equally no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a blast from the past. Randy Cunningworth. Uh-huh. Um,. All right, good Go for him. Good for him, you know? I mean, I um, guess. Yeah, I guess, you know? Captain of the Senators, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I couldn't name you another one. I could not name you another one other than, like, Alfredson. Really? And, and like, the list stops there. there. Are, there are bef- between Alfredson and Kachuk, there are two other Sens captain in chronological order. <laughs> oh, boy. What was it before Kachuk? Uh, oh, you got another hmm. one. I should. You oh totally God, should. This is so easy. Oh my God! What am I? Oh, it's uh. Well, was it was Eric Carlson the captain? Of yes, it, it was Eric Carlson. Okay. All right. And who was it before Carlson, but after Alfredson? Ooh. Uh, maybe Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza. I, I think there was like a year. Yay! <laughs> Congratulations. Nice. Yeah, I Thank think you. yeah, so after Alfredson after Alfredson signed with Detroit in twenty thirteen, Spezza became the captain right away, but then he was traded right after, like his one season as captain, traded to Dallas. So I think he was only captain for a year. Anyway, let's talk now about uh Gary Bettman and Bill Daly putting on what has been called the most embarrassing press conference in NHL history. Uh, man, I don't even know where to start with this one. Obviously, we spent all of last episode talking about the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. Not long after that, I think it was maybe only a day or two later, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly hold his press conference in which they spent like two minutes saying, oh yeah, we sure feel sorry for Kyle Beach. And then the next 50 minutes... Uh, saying things that would imply the total contrary, which is that they really don't care uh, and they're just trying to do damage control. And perhaps the most uh, embarrassing and overt example of that is that they tried so hard to pretend they didn't see Rick Westhead wanted to ask a question and just went to everyone else, even went to follow-ups for some other reporters before Pierre Lebrun finally said, hey, I'm hoping my colleague Rick Westhead can get a question in. And that was at minute like 41 of the press conference. Minute 46, they finally go to him. So, yeah, Gary Bedman, Bill Dilley spend this whole time going, oh, yeah, we're not as bad as you think we are. Oh, yeah, we're not going to do that much to help. Uh, uh, they just said, just you know, the at best, it was hollow statements. At worst, it was saying things like, oh, yeah, we might not actually help out Sheldon Kennedy because that abuse wasn't at the NHL level. Like, what? Yeah, I mean, they're just trying to. It's a complete fucking. It was it was terrible. I mean, it's clear that first of all, they they feel no sense of accountability for themselves as being the heads of this league, uh, and you know, in terms of implementing a a culture that's 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 you know, uh, fruitful. What's the word? Uh, you know, where where a reporting culture. Where that kind of thing, you know, gets reported and is dealt with appropriately, uh, they feel no accountability with it. You know, it just doesn't seem like they want to make any sort of change at all. Uh, it, it, you know, there's first of all, there's also just a complete lack of transparency. It seems, uh, you know, the, you would think 
you would think that you want to be transparent after you know such a such a gross cover up um, that we just witnessed. And uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like they want to do that at all. And it's just uh, yeah, it was it was heartless. Uh, there seemed to be no empathy whatsoever. I mean, you know, you give two minutes at the start and then everything else is just kind of trying to downplay everything. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was obvious. It wasn't subtle at all. I mean, you, you did not, you did not sense any sort of, uh, you know, compassion or, or willingness to, willingness to change at all from the league. And, uh, I mean, yeah. And then the whole thing kind of felt like he was also like trying to protect Rocky words at the, at the same time. Like that seemed kind of seemed like, you know. Goal number one, honestly, if you ask me, uh, talked about that, you know, like uh, tried to try to defend the $2 million fine and, and whatsoever and giving like non-answers to everything. Uh, yeah, when you give non-answers, it's because you don't really want to, you know, let people know what's going on behind the scenes. And that's a sign that you're not you're not trying to change at all. You're just trying to make everything, everyone, everyone will stop talking about it. And, uh, you know, obviously not taking Westhead's question until, until they were, you know, pressed to. That's just another sign of doing the exact same thing. Are you ever watching a movie and you start asking yourself, like, how is it possible that this evil villain doesn't realize that they're the evil villain? I feel the same way about Gary Bettman, honestly. It's like, do you realize that you're the evil one in this scenario? And if not, how is that possible that you would have such a warped framework of reality that you're in here just totally not caring about Kyle Beach? And calling? I think, was who was it the NHLPA? who had that press release that called it like the Kyle Beach matter. And it was pointed out like how, how insensitive that is to refer to it as a matter and frame it as the Kyle Beach matter, as if he's the one that's like making our, our lives harder than it has to be like it's very frustrating. And um, it's led to a, a number of people, even some pretty prominent reporters calling for Gary Bettman's head, or at least I think even, I think even Elliot Friedman, said on the 31 Thoughts podcast, which I didn't listen to and rarely listen to, saying that, uh, you know, as, as you know, because he, obviously he's, you know, one of the head insiders or most influential insiders. And when he says something like, maybe his time has passed him by, that's pretty much, you know, Friedman speak for, yeah, this guy better be gone soon because he is absolutely not fit for this job anymore if he ever was to begin with. And it speaks to this thing that like, you know, I I wasn't, you know, astutely aware of culture like 10 years ago uh but a lot of people seem to think that the need for emotional intelligence is uh has has gone up at least in terms of how it's generally perceived in society uh and gary bettman has proven uh once and for all a couple of days ago that he has absolutely none of that and bill daly is in the same boat yeah absolutely i mean this is who they are uh and I honestly, I don't see changing. Like, I don't see them losing their job. Whatever, whatever Elliot Freeman wants to say, um, you know, we always have to remind ourselves: Who does Gary Bettman work for? He doesn't work for the sport of hockey. He doesn't work for the fans. He works for the owners. He's been making them a buttload of money. Uh, and you know, I think the mechanisms to uh, get this guy out of there—it's a pretty high threshold. You got you got to have a lot of owners pissed off with Gary Bettman to get him fired. Uh, and I don't see it happening. I think these owners—I have no faith in the owners. In terms of looking out for their players uh, and you know looking out for the people that work under them, no faith whatsoever. I think I, I mean they're the sort of people that you know worry about solely the ball line, bottom line, and you know Bettman's good for that. Uh, he's not good for much else. I mean, yeah, obviously this it's it, it was it's it's been years since he's time to go. He should have never been in the job. I mean, obviously the lockouts. Well, obviously this is a completely different angle, um, but he's just 
Not, you know, he's, there's no empathy for, for the players whatsoever. There's no consideration for them. I mean, you're talking about the CTE uh, that he's constantly denied. He hasn't even admitted up to today, which is insane. Um, and obviously this situation uh, with Kyle Beach and not showing any sort of, uh, you know, accountability whatsoever for the state of the league uh, in terms of, you know, conditions for its employees uh, and, you know, especially people who are vulnerable. So, you know, it, it's always been time to go, but I'm not hopeful at all because uh, who does he work for? He works for the fucking owners. Yeah, I would agree with you on that, but I do think there is a chance that if fans and media, uh, you know, keep pressing on how terrible he is for the job, that he might just be like, hey, I'll just retire, I guess. That's the only way I really see it possible that Gary Bettman's not the commissioner in the the relatively near future because I agree with you, it won't be the owners asking him to, to get out of there. I think he may take it upon himself if, you know, public image stays as bad as it currently is to just be like, yeah, I've had enough of this. I don't need this anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too hopeful about the, uh, about that. I mean, we're talking about Gary Bettman, uh, Mr. Lack of Emotional Intelligence whatsoever. And, I mean, look, he, he, I don't think he has a pulse on anything. I don't think he gives a shit. Um, he's, he's almost definitely making buttloads of money off the NHL. Uh, and, you know, he's like, oh, the fans are booing me. You'll have to hear it. And shit like that. Um, when, yeah, he's been pulling this heinous shit this, one, this entire time. Um, he, has, he doesn't have a spine in his body. And he never has. And that's why people boo him. Like, you know, he's not well-liked at all because he's a piece of shit. Um, and, uh, but he's still there. He's still there after God knows how many years. And I think he expects this to blow over. I think that's what he's angling for. And I don't, you know, I don't see the public perception kind of pushing him over the edge and getting him out of the job. I really, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. That's too bad. Uh, Don Fair, though, on the other hand, NHLPA, uh, you were telling me before you saw like an article, there's some sort of investigation going on. A couple of players have voiced their, upon finding out that Don Fair, Don Fear did nothing about, uh, you know, when he said like, oh yeah, I'll report it back in 2011. I'll file it. I'll do something. And then did nothing. Wayne Simmons had a quote the other day that was like, you know, that was pretty disturbing to find out. I've lost a lot of faith in the NHLPA over that. I can't imagine he's the only one feeling that way. So I think there's there's going to be some kind of investigation ongoing into that. And because, you know, Don Fear should represent the players and the players are pissed. And I think it's much more likely we see him on the way out than, uh, than we see Batman on the way out. Yeah, it seems that, you know, uh, the players seem to have announced a thought. Unlike, you know, the owners were, were in charge of paying Gary Bevan's salary. Um, because, yeah, I mean, he, you should, everyone should be disgusted at the sort of inaction that, you know, the NHLPA and Don Fair in particular, because he heard of it, uh, you know, how they reacted back in 2010 uh, when, you know, Kyle Beach reported to, reported and, you know, to, to the, I don't know, the, the PA doctors or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I mean, it should disgust anybody and it should shatter anybody's faith in a person, in an organization, uh, if they've in, and in a leadership group, if they fail to properly address that kind of thing, especially when they are a union. So uh, they're, they're failing at their number one job, which is to protect their workers. So uh, yeah, appropriately so an investigation. I, you know, first of all, the, the PA has never been good, uh, at least under Fair's leadership of advocating for player rights, um, advocating for player safety, uh, and, you know, creating a better culture. And so, 
you know, I think it's, it's, it's a time of reckoning. I think it's, it's always kind of been like this though. This isn't an outlier. Uh, it's just particularly bad, obviously, uh, with, with, the with just how bad the incident was, um, with Kyle beach, but, um, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not surprising. I don't think that you look at the situation, how they reacted and you think, you know, shit needs to change like this, this, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yep. Um, is it time for the draft? All right. Yeah, that's that's a that's a sharp turn. Let us let us do the sure sharp is. turn into the draft. All right, sharp turn into the draft. The return of the draft segment this week. Um, we are we'll be drafting board games, and this is how I came up with the idea. I remembered, uh, when you first floated this idea out for, like back in February, I think. Like, oh, what if we start this like draft segment? We floated a couple ideas back and forth, and I rem. And I remembered that we had some ideas that we had never used, but I didn't remember what the ideas were. So I, I searched our what's our WhatsApp chat and I pulled this one up. Board games were one of my very first suggestions. Yes. Uh, and I'm excited for this one because I feel like this may be the least predictable out of all of them. Um, because there are a lot of board games in the world, obviously. There are, are a lot that are very popular. I think a lot of people would say maybe the popular ones are not necessarily the best ones, although there are some pretty good popular ones. I also have a couple on my list that I really love that I know are unpopular that I'm not even sure if uh, if you have heard of, but uh, they are extremely okay. fun. And I imagine yeah. you probably enjoy some board games that I may have never heard of. So this is yeah. going to be a, uh, a total free-for-all sort of situation that might turn quite chaotic. Yeah, this is uh, this is a wild one. This is definitely our least structured draft in terms of uh, the options available. You could really go any sort of way in any sort of draft order, uh, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, I think you won the last one, uh, unfortunately, with the uh, instruments draft. Indeed, uh, still a highway robbery. So uh, I, I'll claim the first overall pick if that's okay with you. It certainly is. Those are the rules, after all. all right. So go right ahead. Let it, let us begin. So uh, with the first overall pick, uh, I will be selecting the game Scrabble. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fucking blast. All right. First of all, you know, how do you get better? Read a fucking book. Read the newspaper, you know, like expand your vocabulary. In that sense, it's very practical. You know, helps your writing, helps your your brain processes. It's a very smart game. Uh, but also it's exciting. It's exciting as shit. You know, like uh, and you pull out the letters, you don't see shit, and then you come up with a great name, you come up with a great word, and you're having a blast. You can make up a fake word, try to, you know, get it past the opponent, and it's a good laughs, you know. So uh, the vibes are elite with Scrabble. Never had a bad Scrabble game. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's worthy of the first overall pick. Scrabble is uh, not a bad not a bad pick at all. It's been a, it's been too long since Thank I played you. it. I want to play it again. Uh, but I am glad that you didn't go with what I would have chosen first overall, and will now take Clue. Clue is the top of the top in terms of board games. Uh, first of all, it does indeed uh, fill the popularity quota. It's one of the most famous board games of all time. It fills the fun quota. All right, you know you're you're playing with your friends. Just having a good time. That's what you want to do in a board game. And it, uh, it stimulates the mind. Uh, not too much, though. 
Uh, but you do have to do some thinking, you know, deductive reasoning. You're, you're being like a detective trying to figure out who did the murder? Where do they do it? What do they use? And you're moving your, your little, your, your piece around. Right. And my favorite part of clue, uh, when I was a, a younger child and probably still is to this day is going through those trap doors that make you jump from like one side of the house to the other. That was always great. And not to mention a couple of months ago, I watched the movie Clue for the first time based on the board game. Uh, and it was extremely campy and it kind of sucked. But the fact that there was a movie based on a board game, uh, I think tells you all you need to know about how legendary it is. Or just how overrated it is. Now, granted, Clue is not a horrible board game. Uh, there's some foul, fun aspect to it. Uh, I would rank it about seventh. You know, that's where I would would have taken Clue. Um, it's just grossly overrated as a game. I mean, there's no repeat. There's no repeat value like there is Scrabble. You play it over and over again, it gets boring. You know, like, it's just like you're doing the same shit over and over again. Roll the dice, move the room, do a little gas, process of elimination. You either try way too hard like I do a Clue, and, like, I have a whole, like, fucking spreadsheet going. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> or you lose. And it's, like, and it's it, it becomes formulaic for certain crowds. I don't know about everybody. But when I play Clue with my family, everybody goes way too hard. If you don't go too hard, you're going to lose. There's no fucking chance you win. There's not a chance in hell you win without the big fucking spreadsheet. All right? I'm telling you right now. It's a fact. If anybody plays against me and you don't have the spreadsheet, you're going to fucking lose. All right? Um, and in that sense, it's not very competitive. You know, Scrabble, if you come out and you're like, you just read Lord of the Rings last week, that's a pretty good leg up. Anybody can read that. So it's like, you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty it's pretty egalitarian. Meanwhile, Clue, you got to be like, got to be fucking tryhard 2.0. Um, so that's my issue with Clue. It's not, it's not a bad game, but I feel it's a bit, it gets a bit repetitive and a bit boring if you play too many times. All right. Um, okay. So now, now my next pick. This is interesting. You know, yeah, it, it is hard to kind of pick which games to pick. I'm going to go with a classic one. I'm going to go with... One of the fucking oldest games out there. But I think it's so underrated. Alright? I'm picking Checkers. Alright? Because that shit... Oh, no. That shit's kind of fun. Yes, no, yes, Checkers. Checkers sucks. Right? Uh, Checkers is the most boring game what in the world. What are you fucking talking about? Fucking, what are you talking about? It's just like... It's like... It's, it's a... It's a classic board game, alright? But it's fucking better than chess. It's like... It's like better version of chess. You're like hopping around. There's lots of opportunities. Lots of, you know, different permutations. And you're just like, you're fucking around. It's checkers. You know, nobody takes it too seriously. You can if you want. That's fun. But, you know, it's like it's like nice vibes. And uh, it's not too serious. It's light. It's very simple. And uh, shout out to checkers. Taking that, taking that game right now. Go ahead. The fact that you take checkers with a third overall pick, immediately followed by me taking chess with the fourth overall pick, should be the most embarrassing Terrible. moment of your life. Terrible. That should be the most embarrassing Terrible. moment is, of your life. Chess is so gonna, fucking overrated. Chess is literally... Chess is so overrated. It's the, it's the greatest game of all time. Well, that's not true. I, I prefer Clue to Chess. What you, you just a clue. You just oh, a clue. That's let, the let hyperbole much? Let, let me... It's, okay, it's, all right. It's great in that it's it's you know extremely iconic in its stimulation of the mind and it's sort of like you know you know you know what's so amazing about chess you know you watch these videos about these guys that are that are like uh oh yeah I'm like a chess champion I was that the like Norwegian guy who was playing ten games at once and wasn't looking at any of the boards and would just like sit like facing away from one of the chess boards and the opponent would be like, Oh yeah, I moved 
this piece to A3 or whatever. And he'd be like, uh, let me move my piece from there to there. And then he'd move over to the second game and do the exact same thing. He would keep track of 10 games all at the same time in his mind without even looking at the chess boards. And he won them all. It's like, in what other game is, is just someone so so head and shoulders above everybody else and it's on a board it's it's absolutely miraculous and then of course you know you have these chess tournaments and these these people are just sitting there being like thinking for 27 minutes about what move to make it's just it's just like you know a lot of people are like okay at chess but then there's really there's no other game where these people take to the next level and just there's i feel like there's always a level of chess that can never really be like you like everyone can always get better at chess and everyone can always like strive to understand it more there's really no other board game where that's the point um so or where that's possible i guess and so chess is just you know it's a mind-blowing game with uh, an infinite amount of uh, intrigue whereas checkers is not mind-blowing it's a mind-sucking game with a very finite amount of intrigue uh, and all the pieces in checkers look the same too. In chess, you have like your little horsey. All right, so that's fun for little kids. Also, you know, you want to get into the chess. Got my little horsey. I move it in the shape of an L. Can jump over my other pieces. You know, got my queen, my king. All the pieces move in fun directions. All right, checkers, they all move the same way. All right, it's boring as fuck. Chess is so much better. That's terrible, terrible kid. First of all, all the pieces are the same because they're all equal. All right, you're fucking upholding the monarchy over here. Got the king. It's a board the game. Queen. The, the clergy too. The clergy too. He's got the, the bishop. Oh, get the fuck out of here. All right. That's terrible. That's terrible. All right. This game is overrated as hell. All right. Because, all right, a lot of your argument seems to be extremely aspirational. Oh, yeah. The guy who played 10 games at the same time. It's like you're drafting chess YouTube over the game of chess. All right. Which, you know, I would argue is not the best for a, you know, for a board game draft because we're not drafting YouTube, you know. YouTube, uh, what's the fucking word for it? YouTube, like, subcultures or whatever it is. Um, niches. You know, like, and that's, it's niches. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, do, do, will any of us ever reach that level? No. Uh, meanwhile, us peasants over here, since we want to, if you want to maintain the fiefdom kind of attitude that chess implies, uh, you know, like, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, Way too overwhelming. I mean, I'm a complete dumbass when it comes to chess. I know how the pieces move. I have no strategy whatsoever. I can't. I can't begin to to try to comprehend any of these strategies. And uh, I don't know. I'm just like fucking, fucking moving the pieces around. If you ask me to play a game of chess, I'll play chess. I know how the pieces move. I know how the this worlds work. Breaking but... man who knows nothing about chess uh, doesn't like chess. <laughs> but it doesn't feel approachable. You know what I mean? Like. Man who man who doesn't know how to play checkers can easily pick up the game of checkers and like you know find some strategies or whatever it is. Meanwhile, man who doesn't know how to play chess, all right, Let's continues out. to not know anything about Get chess. Smarter. All right, so yeah. <laughs> all right, um, but like, how 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 would I even do such a thing? Seek out chess tournaments? That seems so inaccessible. What if I live you in a just, rural part of town rules, where there's no the chess rules, or, or you find a friend who knows how to chess, and your friend will be like, here, here's how this piece moves. Here's the goal of the game. Here's some things you can do. Well, and, well, I, know, uh, let's I know how to play chess, but, you know, like, there, there's a certain, like, skill cap once you reach, you know, like, Bobby from across the street is going to tell you how the pieces move. But, like, you know, how much strategy can you even really convey? And that seems you to be the whole part game. of these, like, 10 player you could say that about pretty much that's any game true. that's no, like that's, 
I I would I would argue otherwise. You because... can you can be good at you can have fun playing a lot of games even if you aren't very good at it. That's just an easy fact. Yeah, sure. But it feels like chess. You're just like you're you're blind as a bat. And like you know, other games you can kind of like develop strategies on your own as you go. Like you know, like I don't know, Clue. You're like, all right, I like to go to these rooms or whatever the fuck. You know, Checkers is like, all right, I like you know, I, I tend to win when I do this. Like chess, it's like. It's you gotta do like this fucking gambit or whatever or like you know like I don't fucking know like uh, that's the word I use uh, or you gotta use this specific opening sequence like how the fuck am I gonna find that on my own I gotta like look up like you know chess YouTube chess Reddit chess Google that's r slash chess anyway yeah r slash chess <laughs> yeah r slash you know ten ten you know me versus ten people chess uh, like like you know like that's <laughs> It's, it seems very inaccessible, and that's my beef with chess. Which is why, you know, I, I when I looked at it, I said this is I have like twelve games because I really couldn't think of many more, and I put it ten. All right, uh, so that's you couldn't that's think of more than twelve stands. games. Okay. If you if you, I could list like yeah, thirty yeah. board games probably. Yeah, list them, but like draftable, you know, like there, oh. there's there's the difference between board games I know and, uh, and and draftable board games. I would say, anyways. All right, moving on. Uh, third round pick. Fifth overall, I think this one's a steal. I'm taking Settlers of Catan. That was the first game that wasn't invented before like 1800 that we've picked so far, and like uh, or, or like you know, <laughs> like um, and I think before it's, 1800, and it's and it's and it's markedly better than uh, all other modern competitors. I would say by far the best modern board game there is out there. Uh, Settlers of Catan. I don't know if you've ever played it, but uh a lot of fun i'll tell you i have played it it's been a while though because i just i can't believe that your beef with chess is that it's inaccessible then you go ahead and take this totally non-understandable mess of a game settlers of Catan. i have no idea how that game works it's so fucking how old are you six years old when you tried to play what's going on here you know now that you mention it i think i was like 10 maybe (laughs) so maybe i should try again but i just remember being so confused i was like i never play this game again it's very hard and it's long and you have like these trading cards it's like uh so i just bad vibes with settlers of Catan all around but anyway okay all right inaccessible to a 10 year old i sure fair enough all right go ahead all right, and you know what I'm doing when I was ten? I literally was playing chess when I was ten against against okay. my family and friends. So that just goes to show Settlers of Catan is less accessible than chess. Anyway, I'm gonna go of course with a game that is so fun. Mastermind. Mastermind is the Mastermind. Of fun. See, I can, tell, I can tell by your reflection that you're impressed with my selection. When was the last time you played Mastermind? <laughs> <laughs> <my mastermind>. <laughs> oh yeah it was the last time you played mastermind i don't know it's been at least five years okay well i play it constantly with my family <laughs> and All right, let, me t- let me tell you it's a lot of fun so for anyone who maybe doesn't remember how mastermind works so basically it's a two-person game pretty much and you've got a bunch of little colored pegs they're like you know a bunch of red pegs a bunch of blue pegs green pegs a bunch of different colors and one person uh makes a pattern with the pegs so say say it's like you know 
it's a five color pattern. So let's say you take the pegs and you put them in the order like blue, white, green, yellow, black, or something like that. And you hide it. And the other person has to guess the, the pattern. So they take the pegs and they have this long row of spots where they can place the peg and be like, oh, I'm just going to make a random guess. Is it this? And what you do is you use another kind of smaller peg to denote how many colors they got in the exact right spot and how many other ones they got right but in the wrong spot. And they have to use that information that you give them in order to guess the code. And it's a lot of fun because A, you got to do a lot of thinking and B, something a lot of people don't know is that you can actually change up the rules as you play. You can make it so that the code can't repeat a color. You can make it so that it can repeat a color but only twice. You can even make it so that you could theoretically have like all yellow is your code or all one color. You can even make it so that you can use blank spots. So your pattern can be like yellow, orange, blank, blue, orange, or something like that if you want to. You can play around with all these things, make the gameplay more fun, you know. Uh, and it's just a super fun time. And it's not really a game that uh, you ever get tired of. And once you get pretty good at it, uh, it can get, you know, pretty relaxing, you know, if you just want to use the same rules all the time. Or if you want to, you know, give yourself a little pep in your step, change up the rules. It's a great time. Mastermind is, is uh, it's brilliant. There's really nothing more to it. Yeah, I you know what I took away from that? That little moment when you said, you know, once you get pretty good at it, it, it can be, and then you pause, and you said relaxing. And I thought that was the wrong choice of words because I would say boring would be a, would, would be a better selection, no? Um, you know, it's fucking repetitive, man. It's like there's only so many things you can do. Like when you do a blank peg, that's equivalent to like adding another color. So like what if we put like fucking teal in, in, the, in, the, in the set? It would have the same effect. Um, yeah, you know, this would be an appropriate like ninth round selection, I would think. But I respect your love for Mastermind. Um, it's it's an oldie. It it's it got nostalgia vibes, which is how I would have sold it. Um, but uh, all right, so that's Mastermind. You know, it's a pretty uh, interesting pick, third round. I ought to play it sometime. All right, after the fourth round, I will be now selecting. Hmm, some stuff. I will be selecting Battleship. Okay. All right. Fucking fun game. Lots of fun. Battle, battle, nobody's ever had a bad time in Battleship. And, you know, it's like it's, it's, there's lots of suspense. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty damn good board game, I'd say. You know, just uh, you don't play it. No, you don't, people don't play it often, typically, unless you like, you know, you know, like an iPhone. And you're playing it on, like, the, the, the Game Pigeon app. Um, and, and that's still a lot of fun. But, like, you know, Battleship... Unlike during the game, you can't miss. Hey, you know, I think I should win just because of that joke. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I fucking knocked out out of the park. I knocked out out of the park. So that's it. That's, that's, I'm just going to end my case for Battleship right there. I'm done. All right. Battleship, it's all right. It's fine. It's pretty good. I would say that's not a bad fourth round pick. Uh, one, one thing Thank I'm you. enjoying about this draft much more than some other ones, uh, specifically the color draft, is that there are a lot of good there are a lot of good things to choose from. I'm sitting here thinking like there are a lot of good options for me here in this fourth round. And at this point, this is when we were starting to talk about like, oh does gold count? Can I take cyan? Uh, but what I'm gonna do uh, is I'm going to select um, what is possibly my favorite board game, but it is one that is really not that popular. And not a lot of people know about it. Okay. It's called Labyrinth. Let's hear it. It's called Labyrinth. Have Never you ever played Labyrinth? It. All right. 
let me let me explain labyrinth to you i pulled up the wikipedia page for labyrinth board game it's a board game for two to four players published by ravensburger in 1986 ravensburger or whatever puzzle company yeah the puzzle company the game board forms a maze built of both fixed and moving pieces the players rearrange the maze to their advantage by moving a row of pieces in a turn each player has one token, which... Okay, sorry, this description is not doing such a great job of explaining the game. Let me try to, <laughs> let me, let me try to do it in my own words. All right, so let's say uh, you and I are playing Labyrinth against each other. Basically, we each have, yeah. we each have a pile of 12 cards. Um, we can only look at one of the cards at a time. So we each look at our own top card. And basically, it has a little, like, a picture on it. Uh, and it's like a treasure, kind of. It's It'll be like a, a dragon or like a treasure chest or something like that. And somewhere on the board, uh, there is that same picture. And what you have to do is you have to move your piece, your little colored person, through the maze to get to that spot. And then once you do, you can move on to your next card. And the goal of the game is to get through all your cards and back to your home base before the other person. Uh, but the thing is, every turn... You have to move the board around and shift the maze. So, you know, sometimes you'll just be like trapped where you can't go anywhere. If there's like a wall and you got to like figure out the right way to move the pieces of the maze so that you can move your piece to get to your, your, your item. And sometimes the items you're trying to get to are also on the moving pieces. So they're moving around and you're moving around and it's a great time. And I do rec- I do think two person play is, uh, is optimal, even though you can play up to four. But this is, uh, it's just a hoot. It's got everything you want, you know. Uh, You're stimulating your mind, you know. You're, uh, you know, you're having a lot of fun. And sometimes you can unknowingly sabotage your opponent, which is just uh, makes it that much better. So I say we got to play Labyrinth sometime because I really think you'd enjoy it. It's a 10 on 10 game. And uh, I really hope that even though I don't expect much of the audience to have heard of this game, I hope that they can realize that I'm absolutely correct. It's legendary, and uh, they're going to vote for me because of it. Noted. All right, I have nothing to say about this game because uh, I have never heard of it. But uh, cool, labyrinth. Well, why would you? Why would you like? Oh, like uh, unintentionally sabotage your opponent? Like what? Can't you just intentionally sabotage your well, opponent? Well, no, because you don't know what uh, item they're looking for. So you can't, I mean, ah. you could, could could potentially deduce like, oh, I've gone through these items and they've gone through those items. So here's a list of like eight items it could possibly be. And you could also potentially be like, oh, I kind of maybe see where they're sort of trying to go. Uh, but you never know what item they're going after. You only know the one item you're going after. All right. Labyrinth. Noted. Okay. All right. Moving next on the list. Um, hmm. Alright, I will be taking another relatively new game called Codenames. Uh, I don't know if you heard of that one. What the fuck is Codenames? Uh, have you... Codenames? Alright, let me tell you, you're in for, you're in for a hoot. Alright, so basically, you have a board. You have two teams of at least two people on each team. Um, and you have one person who's designated, you know, the Codemaster on each team. Uh, and they know whose teams. Okay, so let me let me get into it. You have a board with card like sixteen cards or twenty five cards. Alex and Tyse explain how board games are played. 
Uh, I'm sure nobody will complain about that. Uh, 25 <laughs> cards, all right? Um, and each of them has a word on it, all right? Um, and that's cool. And basically, secretly, uh, randomly, each of the words is assigned a team, all right? So, like, it's either a blue team, it's a blue team card or a red team card. But, like, nobody knows which cards are on which team except for the Codemasters. And, you know, there's some trap cards. There's, like, a death card um, in there where, like, you know, if you pick that card, you lose. And so, basically, the Codemasters have to get their teammates to guess which cards are on their team. So, like, if I'm the blue Codemaster, I'm trying to get my blue teammates to pick the blue cards. But the the, the trick is... um, you're trying to, you have to like give them a one word clue indicating the card. Um, but you don't have to only go for one card at a time. You can like try to make associations. You can be like, there are three words with, I don't know, garlic. And then like, you know, maybe there's like bread and sauce and shit like that. Um, and yeah, it's like, uh, it's like that kind of subliminal mes- messaging. A lot of fun, very social game. Uh, and very underrated. I recommend you try it out. So that's my fifth round pick. Code yeah. names. That one does sound pretty fun. Not quite labyrinth fun, but uh, definitely worth a try, I would say. Uh, in this, the fifth round, I'm going to go with a game that is so fun, that we both agree is so fun, that we play a variation of it once every three weeks. Guess who is a great board game? <laughs> It's just it's okay. just that easy. It's a great board game, you know, and I feel like, you know, as you get older, it can get even more fun as you get more creative with questions. Uh, and despite the fact that I suck at it very badly as of late, uh, the game itself is uh, is great. And you don't even have an argument against me because you actually participate in it on a constant basis. So so there we go. Okay, well, that's the thing. I do have an argument against it. It's because we play a variation of Guess Who that is remarkably much more fun than uh, the OG version. Because the OG version is just, I don't know, man. Their faces, it's just, their faces are boring. They make me sad. See, but here's right? the thing. I don't want to see. Wait, when you, you play Guess Who, do you never do, make me upset. do you never do the variation where you, like, give them a bunch of extra personality traits that you can ask about? Like, James oh, is an accountant. I need to remember yeah, well, how the fuck was I supposed to... Like, what, you have a list? You have a master list? Like, James is an accountant. Here are the list of accountants. And I'm like, this, <laughs> yeah. this seems like a lot of... seems like a, a lot of fucking work for guess who. Yeah, yeah. is your person a consultant? <laughs> yeah, uh, let me check. Oh, it seems that James and Charles and Peter are all consultants. <laughs> yeah. Does your person um, yeah, support it- the Republican Party? Uh, that one's pretty easy though that's like red shirt blue shirt no that's like that's that's a built-in mechanism (laughs) so yeah okay i've never played that variation have you are you just making this up off the top of your head no no my sister and i we used to like you know come up with like extra information about the people yeah but how do you agree on that shit like oh no i thought peter was a socialist Nah, fuck, he's a, he's <laughs> a straight up, you know, redneck Republican. No, 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 it's a established yeah, before. There's no obviously. set rule. It would be, what? We, we were like, I don't know, six, seven years old, we'd be do things like, Emily likes ice cream yeah. or whatever. Yeah, no, but like, it seems like a lot of room for, for you know, conflict, for for fighting, um, compared to like, you know, I'm gonna, like, you know, I can't, I, we can't disagree on when, like, you know, what position Kirby Doc was drafted in. 
but I can we can disagree on whether you know Dorothy owns a fucking dog, all right? Like, like you know, it's it's very much up in the air. You know, so what? I, you I know? can't I can't say I support this version of Guess Who. Next next time we play Guess Who, I am asking you solely about the player's physical appearances. That's okay. how I'm gonna win. All right, now we're in for okay, we're in for a fucking disaster. All right. Does he have long hair? Um, <laughs> I love that. How like how subjective something like that can be. Like, does your player have dark eyes? Like, I don't know. It's sort of. Is your player good? Is <laughs> yeah. your player friendly? <laughs> Uh, okay, all right. Interesting. I was, I mean, anything to change up your losing streak right now, right? So yeah, I wouldn't blame you. Okay, all right. So uh, that's round five. Should we go one last round? Yeah, yeah. We gotta go round six. Okay, round six. Oh man, this one's tough. This one's this one is tough. I am going to go with a game called Stratego. This sounds vaguely familiar to me. I don't know how it works at all, but I know okay, I've heard right. the name. All right. So basically, you have like uh, each person has like an army, right? And uh, with various positions represented by numbers, like one is the best, two is the second best. And, you know, you, you basically at the beginning of the game, and it's like capture the flag, too. It's like a capture the flag game. And you have a flag that you're trying to defend, you're trying to find the other team's flag. At the beginning of the game, you know, you put a divider between you two and you like you re- you arrange all your pieces, you know, uh, in a specific arrangement according to your own strategy. Uh, and then afterwards, basically, you lift the partition after your strate- strategic placements. Like, oh, where do I put my best player? Where do I put my second best player? Where do I put my flag and shit like that? Um, and then, um, you know, with some special traits for various players. And after that, you just basically, you know, you go and uh, it's like you you move forward. And then you try to, you know, capture the other team's flag. Whenever two play- pieces are on the same case, in the same little box, because it's like a grid, whenever you're in the same box, uh, it's like, you know, a little fight. And each person announces, you know, what pos- like what number they have. Like, oh, I had a five. And then the other guy goes like, oh, I had a seven. And so, oh, like my guy's higher ranked, so I'll take your seven. He's captured. And the five lives on. But the other team knows that there's a five there. So it's kind of spicy. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's should take. You try, to, you try to capture the other team's flag. Is, is the end goal of the game. All right. Sounds all right. Sounds pretty good. I think uh, one of the general themes here is that games that are unknown tend to slap pretty hard. Uh, but, alas, my last pick, I have so many good options to go with here. So many fun games on the board. Uh, I can pick Monopoly. I could go with Mancala, <laughs> you know. I could um, go with Blockus. Uh, what else could I go with? Monopoly. I could go with Monopoly. Monopoly, except for the fact that Monopoly oh, sucks ass, and that game is o- <laughs> Monopoly is that yeah, literally that game is over in ten minutes, but you have to keep playing for another two hours anyway. That's how Monopoly works. It's a total <laughs> it's the embodiment, it's the embodiment of pain. Monopoly is only fun if you're not taking it seriously, which I feel like is not a good trait for a game to have. It's only fun if you're just there, like hanging out and vibe and laugh at how you're losing. Um, that being yeah, said, I was, I was hoping you would take it. Yeah, no, not a chance. That being said, I'm <laughs> going to, I'm going to go with uh, a game called Keys Drow. 
Have you ever heard of Keith what Drell? What the fuck? Uh, I've never heard of anything me, like that. Spell that for me. I don't me, even. I, I don't even know how to spell that shit. I was. I was going to say. Let me spell it for you, and then you can see if there's anything anything uh, peculiar you notice about the word. It's spelled K E E S D R O W. Keith Drell. Yes. It's word seek backwards. Indeed, it is word seek backwards. Uh, Keith Drell. There you go. I think it's on the same level as Scrabble in terms of fun word games. Um, let me tell. So basically, uh, you've got. Or, or we are once. This is like the fourth time one of us just has to thoroughly explain how a game works. But alas, Keith Drell. There are a bunch of tiles. They're like more than you need uh, for the game in the box because, you know, they want to make sure it's fresh every time. They're like double-sided. So every time it's the board looks super different. Each tile has four letters on it. Uh, and next to each letter is a little uh, number saying how valuable the letter is. Uh, pretty familiar so far. And basically you have your pegs. You have your red pegs, your yellow pegs, and your green pegs. And you got to put your pegs into the board because uh, on each tile next to each letter, there's also a spot to put a peg. And you spell out words and you get points. Pretty simple so far. And you can jump around. It doesn't have to be in a straight line either, like a word find. You can go like, oh, I got the letter G and I'm moving one spot to the right for the E. And I'm moving one spot diagonally up to the left to get my T. And then I move straight to the left to get an S. And I just spelled the word guess. It could be totally random, something like that, as long as they're all stuck together. But the fun part is that when you want to spell a word, but the peg, uh, there's already a peg in that letter, but you want to use that letter, no problem. Take out the green peg that's there and put your yellow peg in, and you get twice the value of that letter. And then you can even use that same letter a third time and use uh, three times, or actually, no, I think it's actually four times. Either three times or four times the value of the letter. So if you wanted, and at that point, you can't use the letter anymore. So if you wanted to use... Uh, the same letter three times in one word, you could keep circling back to it and get essentially like six times the, the value of the letter. So you basically, you end up just like piling points. It's not just about like, you know, finding the most complicated words, but it's about like, let's see how many times I can reuse this letter. And it's a very fun twist on uh, the word find trope that I very much appreciate. Uh, it's a, it's a total blast. Keystra, last pick. Okay. All right. How do you even keep track of which letters you've used more than once? Uh, because the when you use a letter once, you put in the green peg. And then when you use it a second time, you put in the yellow peg. And then when you use it again, you put in the red peg. Ah. Uh-huh. And after every word, of course, you know, you tally up the points to keep track of the score. So. Oh, okay. I see. So the pegs are not team specific. They're just to mark that the letter's been used. Yeah, yeah. All the players have all the colors of the pegs. Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds like a knockoff Scrabble. Sounds like a worth a try. Pretty good. Um. All right. Nice. You know what's fun about board games so is that, that we could. I feel like we could keep going for like twelve rounds if we wanted to. Obviously, we will not. Because this has been a quite a quite a long episode, but to recap, Taisei's team: has. we have Scrabble, Checkers, Settlers of Catan, Battleship, Code Names, and Stratego. Whereas on my team, we've got Clue, Chess, Mastermind, Labyrinth, Guess Who, and Keystrow. Elite vibes all around. 
Uh, I am a little bit disappointed you didn't give me the chance to roast Monopoly by taking it, but I am at least glad that you brought it up so I could uh, do it a little bit anyway. Um, I will be putting this poll up on the Instagram. Today is Friday, so probably on like Monday or Tuesday, I guess, I'll get it up there. Uh, hoping I can get a little winning streak going in these because I've really been keeping score, but I know I am losing quite badly in these polls, uh, just like guess who. So I could use a little, a couple more W's in my life. Stop this pandering. Stop, stop this pity, pity show. Uh, the, the listeners aren't here for this. Um, vote you know, for you me can, because I'm sad and if I don't win, I'll get sadder. Exactly, exactly. Are you trying to tug at the heartstrings of our of our dear listeners? This is exploitation. Um, so yeah, I'll throw in my bit. I'm equally as disappointed you didn't you didn't throw in Monopoly as a six round pick. <laughs> I was banking on it. Um, but uh, yeah, vote for me. Restore the rightful draft winner. I'm the best GM of all time. You already know it. Uh, okay, all right. So uh, is there anything else you want to add before uh, we call it an episode today? Uh, that is it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. I imagine we are going to be taking like, you know, a little bit extra time off just because we're doing this week's episode early. We'll probably be back on Sunday, November 14th. And at that point, it should finally be Florida Panther talk time. You can follow this podcast on Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Taisefu and at Alex's new handle. And uh, yeah. There, that's that's the end. The end.